had to get the water. Is Jim Headley here with the shofar? Brother Jim, why do we blow the shofar at Rosh Hashanah? It's a rhetorical question. I'm going to answer it. The reason we blow the shofar is because it's the sounding of a new year and new beginnings. In some villages and cities, it used to be they blew it 100 times during that, that season, that night. It begins at night and it goes through to the next day. It's a time of fasting typically uh, in Israel one time. I remember our, my wife and I and our children, I think it was maybe our second or third time there, very naive about what was happening there. And uh, we landed, we were all huddled in the back of the plane like cattle, and there wasn't much food or any food, and the kids were starving, and we landed, and everything was closed. And then they were fasting. How do you tell little children, you know, two, three, four years old, you're fasting? Um, so my wife had to scour and scour to find little crumbs and things for them to eat. Uh, but Rosh Hashanah is a high holy day. It's the beginning of the high holy days uh, in the Hebrew faith and in the Jewish faith. And the reason why we're going to acknowledge it is because what? One of the one of the characters of our Lord, one of the persons of our Lord. He's the God of Israel, isn't he? And uh, we, we want to agree with him and with the scriptures that come out of Malachi that there's a time when the trumpet blows and the Lord sends his mercy and his grace. And so we're going to agree with the Lord at the trumpet blowing for his mercy and his grace for this year. How many of you... How many of you say you really, really appreciate and lean on the mercy and grace of the Lord? Amen. I know I do. I know that I'm so grateful that he's merciful and gracious in my life and in your lives that there's just no words to explain what the Lord has done and can do for us in every situation. And I think as the times get a little darker, we realize that's the time we live in. Things are getting darker and deeper, darker, as Isaiah said, and the glory of the Lord is shining upon us, that we more and more need to know the truth, and we need to be able to walk in that grace and that mercy. So I've asked Jim. Now, the one reason that it's a long blast is because one of the rabbinical uh, uh, theologies on this is that it's introspection that it's we're giving up our breath and one long breath of the Lord so that we look inside and say Lord whatever's in there that's no good get it out get it out as we start a new year amen so Jim if you will Thank you, brother. Thank you. He had so much time to practice, all of five seconds. 
when I asked them to go back and get that. I want to welcome those of you who are here. I see uh, we somewhat have a half a house. I guess the rain scared some people away, but I also see some dear friends that we love so dearly and haven't seen in a while, Larry and Becky. God bless you, Jim and Becky. We just love you guys. Rebecca, I should say. Becky's okay. Thank you for being here. For those of you who are home and you're cuddling in and a little afraid of some rain, well, I'm going to preach to you today anyway. And those of you who are online and watching us after this, wherever you're at in the four corners of the earth, we bless you. And literally, we have some people in the four corners of the earth from this little house. Isn't that wonderful? SK in Singapore sent me something in the middle of the night. How many of you just love to get something, your phone going off about two or three o'clock in the morning? Isn't that just wonderful? Um, my wife always gets mad at me when I send something in the middle of the night, but I tell her I'm getting even with those that are sending me in the middle of the night. SK from Singapore, and our, he sent us Shana Tov in the middle of the night. Bless you, SK. And we had some people from Africa, and uh, we even have some people down under. Bless the Lord. You know, that's, that's about the four corners of the earth, isn't it? And we all, always know that we have uh, some people on the West Coast. Thank you. And down in Florida, God bless you. We, uh, we have some prayer requests. I would... I would ask you to continue to pray for the people that are on the prayer request. We continue to just believe God for miracles for so many people. And uh, our dear friend Nancy Leslie, you know, she woke up a couple days ago and couldn't speak. And her right side was frozen. And uh, we just went into prayer. And yesterday morning about uh, 10 a.m., I was on my tractor outside working on the tractor. And uh, I actually saw Brother Ben. And uh, I was praying for her, and I felt the breakthrough and the miracle. And about three hours later, she called. She said something happened in the morning. All the numbness went away. I can speak. My face came back. And we give, we give God that glory. Amen. All the glory to God. All the glory to God. We believe in miracles. We do believe in miracles because he's a God of miracles. But he's so much more for us, isn't he? and so much everything. So today, I had entitled this and sent it out to you as the art of digging ditches. The art of digging ditches. Now, I recall about 10 years ago, and actually it was more, 12 years ago, I gave a uh, message in Miami to a very large audience about digging ditches, and that was one level of revelation I had at that time. And isn't it something as time goes on and we revisit something, we get a little bit more of a revelation and a deeper understanding. Obviously, we pray we're more mature, maybe a, a little bit more uh, honed in and, and balanced. Uh, God does all of that with all of us, I pray, right? And uh, we, we discovered last week that we can grow and grow stronger no matter what. Remember, Joshua saying that uh, after he was 40 years in the Lord and Moses declared on him that he had an assignment, 45 years later at 85 years old, he said, I'm as strong now as I was then, and, and going in and coming out. And so we believe, we believe, we agree with God that he can maintain us in our strength to fulfill the destiny and assignments that God has given us. I want to sort of link this in to the series that we had uh, been on with favor, the favor of God. I'm not going to review all of that, but the favor of God is such a wonderful blessing 
to anyone whom the favor falls upon, but especially between, among those who are righteous before God. And we know we're righteous before God, what? In Jesus Christ, that's the only way. And so he was made sin who knew no sin, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. It's not just an attitude, it's literally your composition. It's what you are and who you are in him. You look at the composition the molecules, the spiritual molecules of righteousness to the Lord. And so I want to deal with that a little bit. And in so doing, I'd like to go to 2 Kings chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to read parts of it. And I'm going to embellish parts of it for the sake of time. Uh, let, me, let me lay the groundwork for this. We have three kings and the three kings weren't necessarily joined together for anything other than to go to war, to fight a common enemy. And uh, how many of you know that oftentimes that brings people together that necessarily aren't in unity, right? 9-11 brought a lot of people together, no matter what they were. Color didn't matter, gender didn't matter. It didn't matter what they believed or didn't believe. It didn't matter if they were straight or gay. It didn't matter, nothing mattered. The only thing that mattered was the fear and the division that was brought on and needing a common enemy. And that's what we see right here. And uh, it's very interesting as we look at it, we're going to understand some, the art of our digging our own ditches for God's blessing. Starting in verse one, uh, we read that Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. At that time, what we would refer to as Israel had become divided. You had the king of Judah, who was Jehoshaphat, and then to the north you had the king of what became the Samaria and the other areas, the upper areas of Israel, I should say, and that was at that time Jehoram. Notice who he was a son of, Ahab. That means his mammy was Jezebel. Woo. Uh, this guy had a rough time from birth, didn't he? Because that was 11 different successions of kings that were worshiping idolatry. So it was basically his culture. It was his atmosphere. It was his politics. It was his reign. And for him, he thought he did good because what? It'll tell us that he destroyed some of the things of idolatry, but he held on to some of the things of idolatry. Uh, let's go on further. Next verse, please. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabal, who he had made who had made Israel sin, he did not depart from them. Let's stop there for a moment. You know, we'd be wise as believers not to allow ourselves to be played like fiddles by politicians who want to play the Christian card sometimes while they're playing the political card at other times. And that's what is happening here. Jehoram is playing politics. He's trying to get on the side of those who wanted to get back with God and get rid of the idolatry, but at the same time, he wanted to sustain and maintain the public opinion culture. We need to be very wise in this time 
because not very many, in fact, it's very few, are absolutely speaking truth. Now, this isn't a political stand today, far be it. It's throughout the earth. My point is to show how old this is. This is nothing new. This is as old as can be. Were those in power and in leadership looking for those who will agree with them and consent with them, they'll go along with the opinion polls of the time. And they'll promote what seems right, maybe one foot in darkness, one foot in light. And there we have with Jeroboam. Next verse, please. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder. And he regularly, listen to this, paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. Now, if you know anything about tending sheep, that's at least once a year. Once a year, you're, you're, the sheep get their wool sheared, right? I remember we didn't have too many on the farm when I grew up, but when we did, it was always somewhat of an interesting time to me because the sheep, they wouldn't run. You know, sheep are very timid. They just stay there, and they would get sheared, and my grandfather, uh, you know, he... He would nick them and cut them, and so there'd be little blood on the sheep. And I'd say, I think as a little kid, you know, young kid, four or five, watching this, all those poor sheep. But they'd, I guess they liked it because they got rid of that heavy wool, and then the wool would be put in bags and be taken out. And so this was at least once a year that Mesha would give this tithe, this honor. He would pay this to Israel. Why? Because in years, years, years past in the culture, Israel put a real lick on Moab and his father's fathers. And so this was one way to be able to pay as if they were conquered. But finally, finally, when, when Jehoram became king, Mesha said, I'm not doing this anymore. I think this guy's weak. I'm not going to pay it to him. We're done giving up all of this rich and wealth for a king in Israel who doesn't even know who he is. But it happened when Ahab died, going back one, please, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. You see, Ahab was working in the fullness and the demonic power of Baal. Jehoram decided to, to dilute that. And so he now was open game. He was open game to Baal, and he was open game to all the demonic world because he was no longer a perfect ally. And it happened when Ahab died that this king of Moab said, I'm done with this. Next verse, please. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Now, when it says all Israel, that wasn't Judah, nor was it Edom. It was his area. He mustered them. What it meant was he went out and counted the army. That's what they did when they were getting ready to go to war. Next. Then he went out and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And Jehoshaphat said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. You're going to find out they're not, they were two completely different people. Why would Jehoshaphat say that? Well, I think probably strategically, he knew he was next, right? Why do you think a lot of Europe and everybody got behind the Ukraine right now? Because they're afraid they're next, right? It's not because they just love the people of Ukraine. It's because they're next. That's what happens 
when you end up having conquerors. That's what happens when you end up beginning to see that that evil takes over. So Jehoshaphat said, I'm going to go up. Your people are my people. My horses are your horses. Next. Then he said, which way shall we go? (laughs) Jehoshaphat said, okay, let's go, but where are we going? How are we getting there? And he asked Jehoram as if this is a wise man. He was young. He had just assumed the throne from Ahab, who made more and more and more mistakes, correct? Little bit makes me wonder about the wisdom of Jehoshaphat. Which way shall we go? Jehoshaphat, and Jehoram answers, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. Edom was all the way down in, in the valley of the Dead Sea and in the tough areas. Edom was, was in the desert areas. Edom was beyond En Gedi. Edom was in a place that really you had to scratch the earth to make anything happen. He said, we're going to go by the way of Edom, thinking they would be able to come up on the bottom flank of Moab and surprise them and take them by surprise. But he wasn't a very good general. Next. So the king of Israel, Jehoram, went with the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom. Now you have three kings that really had nothing to do with each other prior to that. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. People are still making that same mistake when they go to war today, aren't they? If you've been following you know, the war between Russia and Ukraine, he sent his soldiers there without provision. They, they ran out of eating the food of the conquerors, and there was nothing left for them. They killed everything that ran in the area, the cats, the dogs, the rats, everything they could eat. There was nothing left. And he wondered why his troops were demoralized. Here's Jehoram, joined by Jehoshaphat. They go down through Edom, and there are seven days taking this circuitous rate without water? Without water? Why? Because he didn't know where he was going or what he was doing. He didn't pray about where he was going or what he was doing. And so he just went with the understanding that if they go this way, they're going to find water. Surely there's water there because we have water here. And for some reason, they took all the animals that followed them. I prayed about that. I wondered who would go to war and take their cattle with them, take their sheep with them. That would seem to be a little bit more than you need to have. Well, maybe it was for food. Maybe. Why would you do that? So there's another mistake, right? Let's go on to the next. So the, and the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together for what? To deliver them into the hand of Moab. Whoa. Jehoram, who didn't even know how to pray to the Lord, who was still worshiping Baal, who, by the way, was the god of rain, right? Still worshiping Baal. Maybe that's why he thought he was going to have water when he went. I don't know. He's in a problem all of a sudden, and what's he do? He blames it on God. Look what the Lord did. He took us down here, and he's telling the other kings, we three kings are an Orion all. We're going to die because God brought us down here. Wow. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar with with weak believers who want to blame God for a situation that we fall into? Of course, I'm the only one that's ever done that, right? None of you have ever done that. I'm the only one who said, Lord, you brought me here. Look what you did. I did what you said to do, and now look what's happening to me, God. 
Why did you do this? Mumbling, grumbling about the things of God. It goes all the way back, what? Way a long time ago. When Moses brought the children of Israel out for deliverance. And I'm underscoring deliverance. When he brought them out for deliverance, how did they respond? Mumble, grumble after it got a little uncomfortable out in the desert where it was parched, where they weren't comfortable, in a place they didn't feel like they understood or knew anymore. It would be better if we went back to Egypt. At least there they fed us. Anytime God is moving to deliver, there will be an uprising of the flesh and a demonic world to try and keep you from moving on. And that spirit will always tell you you had it better before. You don't know where you're going. Look how bad this is. Look what God has done to you. Goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, doesn't it? Adam and Eve. If you read the scriptures, they already distorted what the Lord had said to them. They said that surely if we eat, if we touch this tree, then it is possible we will die. He never said touch, he said if you eat the fruit. He never, if you look at their words, he didn't tell them they couldn't touch the tree. In fact, he probably wanted them to prune the tree. He probably wanted them to take care of the tree. He probably, who knows? But he just told them don't eat the fruit, but they changed the words. And that's what happens a lot of times with truth. You see, truth is a gift that God gives the believer. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so isn't it amazing that the enemy of your soul, the enemy of your faith, attacks truth and ends up having us distort truth? How many times have you confronted somebody with truth and they give you some twisted response to it? There's a skill that is bred and practiced, and some are very good of it, especially in debate or in the political realm. It's called pivot. (laughs) They pivot. They ask one question, and they don't answer that question. They pivot to something completely different. You're listening to a debate or an interview, and the question that got asked never got asked, and they go another whole way, and you see somebody try to reel them back in, and they just pivot again. That's what happens with truth in the world today and truth in our faith today. A lot of pivoting going on. I'd like to tell you it's so obvious and that we could see it so much that we can just pinpoint it, but unfortunately, there's a lot of pivoting of truth going on in the body of Christ. Unfortunately, a lot of people are either saying what is evil is good or good is evil or just not saying anything at all. And not saying anything at all in places where we can is also also sin. When we have a chance to speak truth, we need to speak truth. It takes courage to speak truth. It takes a confidence of who you are in the Lord to speak truth. We need to be those who aren't going to accept that someone's going to wear us and play us on their sleeve and like a fiddle just to get our vote or just to get our consensus or, or just to, to get our, our, our relationship. How many of you know that many Christians don't have a relationship with the Lord. How many of you know that? We know that. It starts with pastors. It starts with denominations. It starts with all kind of people. Their relationship becomes more with the denomination, more with the church, more with their own opinions of how things be go, but not, not the Lord. Some people have a relationship with Sunday, going to church, and not one with the Lord. Six days of raising hell and one day of going to church. 
Some of you didn't need to come to church this Sunday. I don't know what you did for six days, but I'm missing you. Not, not offending you. But if you were here, I wouldn't say that. We need to understand that in this instance, what we're seeing here is Jehoram is all of a sudden playing the other kings. He's playing on somebody else's faith because he doesn't really have it. He's blaming God and he's manipulating. A spirit of manipulation always comes in to uncover, or I should say cover the truth. It always comes in. There will be manipulation where there is someone who's deceiving the truth. They'll try to manipulate the circumstance or the people. Next. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Wait a minute. Jehoshaphat says there is a prophet. He knew who he was. His name was Elisha. He said, we have a prophet. We can hear from the Lord. Jehoram didn't understand that. He didn't know that. And the king of Edom, he had his head down in the desert. He didn't have a clue what was going on. He was just happy to be with the other two boys. He probably was the third guy out all the time. Who wants to go down to Edom and sit there and eat dust and rocks? These guys had all the wealth. And, and, and actually, when I study, it's, it's a far chance, it's very possible he wasn't even a king. He was a commander. He was a commander of that army. And there may not have even been a king of Edom. It just might have been an army, a bunch of renegades down there, hooting and hollering down there in the desert. And so this guy's just happy to be there. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered, this is the king of Israel, now this is Jehoram's servant. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He poured water on the hands of Elijah. Water. Notice the theme, water. What are they thirsty for? Water. Why are there animals dying? No water. You know what happens in dehydration? A lot of things happen physically to your body. Did you know your brain begins to swell? Your kidneys are overworking. They swell up and then they begin to quit because they're working too hard. Do you know that you begin to not think clearly? Do you know that you don't operate and function with your body as it should? Your temperature goes up. The cooling process of your body goes down. This guy, this servant whose tongue's probably hanging out, he's so happy to hear that someone wants to call on Elisha. Notice he was a servant. That means he didn't have citizenship. That means that he may not have even been a Hebrew. He was a servant. He was outside, outside the blessings. But he remembered about Elisha. And maybe the tale that he got from his mommy was that this Elisha was the one who Elijah poured the water on his hands. The water on her hands is still done. When you go to the wall, the western wall in Israel, and you go to get cleansed and to, literally it's like an anointing at the water, there's a basin there. And it goes back to Leviticus and the cleansing, but it's a water ritual, it's a water rite. And what it means is to go in clean to receive from the Lord. So Elijah was the one who prepared Elisha to go in to receive from the Lord. So he's giving credibility to Elisha which says that these three kings really didn't know much about Elisha. It took a servant. It took somebody who was outside the fold, somebody who wasn't strategic, somebody who wasn't in the king's inner court to say, there's a man of God. I know who he is. Next. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. 
Ah, so Jehoshaphat said, yes, Elijah, the word of the Lord is with this guy. Here's where we can get the word, because he didn't like the word that Jehoram told him. God took us down here to get killed. That's not a good word, is it? You're going to battle, and one of the three kings says, we're going to die. We're going to die. That makes people beat feet. They don't want to fight. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Ho, 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 ho. Three kings break protocol, and they go down to the man of God instead of having someone bring the man of God to them. That's protocol. That would be like telling the president of the United States, come here to Canfield, we want to talk to you. They'd say, what? You should be bowing and, 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 and hoping and doing whatever you got to do to try to get an audience with the king. But no, these three kings, they go down to, to uh, Elisha. And the king of Edom went with them. Now, the king of Edom, remember, he, he's just happy to be there. Then Elijah said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? <laughs> they go down to see the prophet, and the prophet says, you three bums, what are you doing here? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Go to Baal. That's your prophet. Jezebel, your mother, she was your prophetess. Those are your roots. That's what you're doing. You think God doesn't see that all of a sudden you want to come to church on Sunday to make up for six days of what you didn't do right all week long? You think God doesn't see that on one hand you're cursing your children and the other hand you're blessing them? Do you think God doesn't see that you hold back your tithe from God and then all of a sudden you want God to bless your finances? Do you think God doesn't see? Elijah says, hey, what are you here for? Go to the prophet of your father, Baal. He's the God of rain. Go see him. What are you here for me? But the king of Israel said to him, no. <laughs> here's, here's that bright king, Jehoram. No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Boy, isn't he a bright guy to follow. He's blaming it on the Lord to the prophet of God. Now, if you hadn't already agitated Elisha, that would really agitate him, right? He's already a little agitated. What are you doing here? I can smell the stench of Baal on you. I can smell the stench of sin on you. How many of you know when you get in the presence of a real foul person, you know you're there? Huh? How many of you know that? I was in a place, I'm not going to get too... Uh, too, too descriptive of it, because I may give it away. And a man walked in. I was getting my hair cut. I could give that away. And this guy was cussing and cursing and going on and on and on and on and on. I, I just, finally, I left. I called back the man cutting my hair. I said, who was that? Do you know what I said? So I said, do you know it took me two days to cleanse the foul spirit off of me from that man? He said, what? I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, he's always like that. I said, why do you put up with that? I said, you put up with that to get 20 bucks to cut his hair? I'll give you the 20 bucks. Get rid of him. And he, and, 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 and he said, you really felt that, huh? I said, I still feel it. And when I think about it, I still feel it. When you're walking in the righteousness and holiness of God and you get around somebody that's sinful and foul, you feel it. And that's what happened to Elisha. He goes, ooh. He's looking at Jehoram. He says, what? You smell. I smell Baal. I smell Jezebel. And then he says, as the Lord of hosts lives, the living God. He's telling them there's a living God, Jehoram. 
Not the God, the fabled God that you heard about that destroyed your mother that you really don't know and the one you're playing politics with. There's a living God. Let me tell you, my prayer is that the body of Christ wakes up to the revelation of the living God. Not a God of fables, not a God of formulas, not a God of systems, not a God of denominations, not a God who gives security, but a living God. A living God who understands and breathes everything that happens in you and on earth. A living God who has all of destiny in his hands. There's a living God, Elisha cries out. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. I have standing with the living. Come on, praise. You have standing with the living God. You stand strong with the living God. You have standing before him and he's alive. And he may be between the cherubim in the heavenly thrones, but in that cherubim in between it is the living God, the glory of God. And it says the glory of God is in you and in me. We stand before the presence of the living God and he's one with us. He's in us, we're one with him. Elisha's saying, I know the living God. I have standing with him and surely, and I could bet you he's looking at Jehoram right in his pearly eyes and the guy from Edom's probably hanging down there saying, what did I get myself into? And Jehoshaphat is saying, uh-oh, Surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not even look at you. I wouldn't even see you. You don't exist. One righteous king, Jehoshaphat. Do you know, you can be in the presence of a righteous person before God and not be in the Lord and get blessed because of the atmosphere that you're in. I know, I believe, I pray. I'm not different, I'm not special, but I have come to the place in my life, I pray every morning, wherever I go, let me change the atmosphere, Lord, to be that one of you. You know those two, they're two Greek words, right? And sphere is like a ball. And the atom is, 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 is the inner matter of that sphere. It's the breath of that sphere, atmosphere. Change the atmosphere. Then what's he do? <laughs> Elisha, he's feeling foul. Atmosphere's foul. Things aren't feeling good. He's agitated. How many of you know you can be agitated and anointed? Huh? That answers a big question for me because I get agitated and then I say, did I lose my anointing, Lord? What do I do to get? No, you can be agitated and anointed. Jesus got agitated. He didn't lose his anointing, didn't he? Jesus, I mean, you know, Jesus, he, he didn't pull any punches. You vipers and snakes, your father's a devil. Woo! Woo! Because he spoke truth. He spoke truth with courage. And just maybe one, one of those vipers or snakes whose father was a devil, just maybe the light bulb went out. And they said, you know what? He's right. I need to change. Just maybe sometimes we need to be courageous for one person. One person who can change the world and change their whole family legacy. Just one person to stand up in truth with. But what's he do? What's Elisha do? Now bring me a musician. Bring me a minstrel. And so they brought the musician in. Now, let me say this to you. I don't think the three kings brought a musician with them to meet Elisha. I think Elisha 
had a worship atmosphere. He said, bring me the musician. Change the atmosphere. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And that agitation, that stench of being foul, his anger about Jehoram who had destroyed thousands and tens of thousands of Jews at the home and, and, and the beliefs of Jezebel and the sins of the mothers and fathers going back 11 different successions of, 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 of rain. All of a sudden, bring the minstrel and the hand of the Lord came upon him. Beloved, I know some of you and some, some places, you know, you, you, wanna, you just want church to have three songs and get into the Word. Or you try to avoid the worship just to get in time to get the Word. The reason we do the music is to change the atmosphere. And we press in to change the atmosphere, to fill the sphere with God. How many of you know that they're still trying to figure out what connects atoms? There's something in between them. There's a space there that doesn't quite connect. There's a space there that holds things, electrons and things, in, 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 in the molecular stage of everything that's happening. They don't know what it is, but I do know what it is. It comes out of Colossians 1, 17, and it says that the Lord has created everything and everything's created by Him and that the Lord, the Lord Himself connects all things. It's the Lord. So when we come into the church on Sunday and we're dragging, hey, I'm dragging too. We're all dragging. We come together to fellowship. We press in with worship so that we fill those gaps with the atmosphere of God, the breath of God. We change, we transform to a better glory. Our spirits get filled. How many of you know that you need to fill your spirits with the air of God? How many of you know that? Now you could say, yeah, but pastor, you know, I, I read the word. No, I do too. I read the word a lot, but I'll tell you, nothing happens more. Nothing pumps up my tire more than the worship of God with God's people. And look at Elisha. Bring me the minstrel. I'm agitated. I can't, I can't work in the anointing. I'm too agitated. We can't work in the anointing unless we cancel everything else out. And the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he says, Thus says the Lord. Oh, these three kings, I'll bet you especially Jehoshaphat, when he said thus, Jehoshaphat probably was slain in the spirit. The commander from Edom, he goes, What is that? I've never heard that before. And Jehoram, he's wondering whether lightning's going to come down and kill him. Thus says the Lord, what? This great word of God from the man of God, a great word of God. Thus says the Lord, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to do battle before you and have every man grab his sword. And the Lord says, go dig some ditches. What? Go dig some ditches. Make this valley. You know what that valley was? It was a dry riverbed. It was a riverbed that at times when there was rain and that would have some water in it, but it was absolutely dry. That's why Jehoram thought he was going to go down and find some water because he didn't really understand the season that he was in. It was probably September, October, about right now. I was just there. Heat gets up to 100, 105, 110 Fahrenheit. It's hot. And I was down there in that area where he's talking about two weeks ago it was hot it was hot i had to drink some water i had to drink some more water i drank about three four bottles of water and guess what 
we know when your body's not absorbing water. We know what doesn't happen. That didn't happen. My body was just sucking it in, and it was going out. So now all of a sudden, he goes, this riverbed that was a riverbed, this valley, it's dry, it's parched. Go dig some ditches. <laughs> Next verse. For thus says the Lord. Oh, that thus says the Lord, the guy from Edom. You shall not see wind. What? Nor shall you see rain. Well, that's a real good reason to dig ditches. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. Beloved, you might be in a dry place. You might be coming through some things that you just say, Lord, where's the water? I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And the Lord says, don't look for the wind. Don't look for the signs. Don't run here to and fro trying to find a better place to eat some grass at. Don't try to just figure it all out. You're not going to see the wind. You're not going to see the rain. You're not going to see the move of the miracle that's coming. But surely I tell you, the miracle is coming. And it's going to fill with water. The miracle's coming. Thus says the Lord, your miracle's coming. Thus says the Lord, your finances is coming. Thus says the Lord, your healing is coming. Thus says the Lord, your healthy age is coming. Thus says the Lord, your family is going to be blessed and saved and redeemed and healed. Your children are coming home. Thus says the Lord. You may not see it. You may not smell it. You may not feel it. But it's going to happen. All you need to do is dig the ditches. Oh, Lord. I'm tired. I don't know that I even have a shovel that works anymore. I'm wore out. Jezebel wore me down. Lord, my face's a little weak right now. Can't you just do it? The three kings. I can imagine the commander from Edom's probably mumbling under his breath to Jehoram. This guy, he doesn't know where we're at. There ain't no water, and it ain't coming. It's not the season of the rains. It ain't coming for six months. Our guys are already tired. They're sore. They're dizzy. They're falling out. They can't fight. We're going to tell them to use the last bit of energy you have to dig ditches. They're going to look at us like we're crazy. They're going to want to go back from where they came from. They're going to die on their way out. Sometimes we get that way, don't we? Lord, I'd just rather give up. I've been there. Am I the only one? But by the grace of God, He sustained me. When I didn't understand it anymore, God said, just go one more step, son. One more step. Lift up that heavy foot. Go one more. You know, when deliverance is coming, that's when it gets the hardest to lift up your feet. When deliverance is coming, the enemy knows it. He smells it. The enemies of your soul. And somehow, there seems to be an army that raises up against you. An army of flesh. That thinks it has a cause. But its cause isn't the cause of God for you. It's not God's destiny for you. This valley shall be filled with water. Your hopes, your promises, your failures, your miseries. Your questions why are about to be filled with water. Next. <laughs> Elisha, this is a simple matter. I could see him all Jewish. Hey, this is simple for God. He's going to deliver 
the Moabites into your hand. What? Oh yeah, you're not going to go after them. That plan that you had, Jehoram, where you're going to go up around the right and go to them, that plan that you had, Ben, where you were going to do it this way and it was going to happen that way, that plan that you had, Frank, where you thought you were going to do it this way, nah, this is simple for God. Dig your ditches and watch what happens. God will deliver your enemies into your hand. He will deliver your problems into your hand. God will deliver your failures into your hand. What do you do with them? Now it's up to you. I say you turn that lemon into lemonade. You turn it into a blessing because God's given you that authority. Next. Also, this is what he says. Now, once I've taken care of the Moabites and delivered them in your hands, now go destroy them. They wanted to take your land. They wanted to take the sheep. Think about it. What was Mahesh, the, the king of Moabite, what did he want to hold back? 100,000 lambs. What do honorable Jews do with lambs? They sacrifice them to the Lord. And the lamb is what is used in the high holy time coming up, September, October, Sukkot. And it's the lamb that's offered for the sin offering. The king of Moab, ignorant, was withholding the sin offering from the people of Israel. Got God mad. <laughs> got God mad. They may not know why they got mad, but got God mad. Let me tell you, woe be these people. Woe be these people. Woe be these politicians that are making abortion another issue to get votes. Woe be them. They're going to get God mad. God already delivered this country out of that. He gave it an opportunity to say which way it wants to go. And I'm saying this, and I don't care who hears it, because I've been on the forefront of that for a long time. Woe be to them. Woe be to them to try to overturn the law of the kingdom of God. Woe be to them. Woe be to them. What's he tell, what's he tell them? Go after the Moabites. Go to every one of their fortified cities, every choice city. Cut down, what? Cut down every good tree. Take their fruit. The trees bear fruit. One of the symbols here at Rosh Hashanah, do we have it to put up on the screen? Real quick, I asked Dwayne to have it ready. We don't, oh, there it is. You see that handsome guy in the middle of the honey? Saying, Shana Tova, that's an apple. You take the apples, you dip them in honey. Because you're, asking, you're blessing the Lord for the fruit of the land. You're blessing him for the sweetness of God and his mercy and his grace. Shana Tova. It just so happened that it was around Shana Tova when the king of Moab decided he wanted to change the seasons and the time. Jehoram didn't have a clue. Jehoshaphat needed to be reawakened and the guy from Edom, he was just happy to be there. Go back, please. Cut down their trees. Stop every spring of water. Wow. Ruin every good piece of land with stones. Every one of the soldiers brought a stone and threw it on the land. Next. Now it happened in the morning. Oh. Fresh every morning. It happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered. The grain offering was offered. 
That is Sukkot. That's the time we're entering into right now. Do you understand how appropriate this is? The grain offering is believing God for the harvest. And it's the first fruits of the harvest. And so they brought some grain with them. Maybe to feed the cattle, I don't know. But the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Water came out of the desert. It didn't rain there, it rained somewhere else and the rain came down. And guess what happened? Next verse. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, and all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. The sun was shining on the water. It was glimmering on the water. Now the Moabites were used to looking down at that red dry bed and there was nothing but dirt and parchment. All of a sudden, there's, there's, there's red blood. There's red color coming out of there. So what do they do? They're like Jehoram. They think by themselves. They said, this is the blood, the kings, they fought each other because we know those three guys don't really get along and they've killed one another. Now therefore, Moab, let's go to the spill. And they go running into the camp. And they came to the camp of Israel, and Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites. Wow! So that they fled before them, and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Now listen, the Moabites came for the spoil, not to do war. If you're carrying your weapons, you can't carry the spoil. So they left their weapons. Beloved, no weapon formed against you shall Hey, <laughs> no tongue that's spoken against you. Come on, no tongue. Somebody help me. Say it loud. The Lord will condemn them. So the Moabites, they put down their armor, they put down their swords, they went to go get the booty. And guess what they got? They got the sword. They got the sword. Remember, when someone comes to steal from you, it may look like they're getting there, but they're going to get the sword. They may come in and think that you're totally disarmed and that you're not ready, but God says if they try to steal from you, you get five times more, and if they do, you get seven. Some of you have had some stuff taken from you. I have had two. You got seven times coming back to you. That's the law of God. You got seven times coming back to you, but you got to dig your ditches. Ah. Because if they hadn't dug their ditches, that water would have come from on the upper land. It would have come down through the dry riverbed. It would have kept on rolling across the parched land. There would have been no water to drink and no water to deceive the enemy. It would have been gone. You've got to dig your ditches. You've got to dig your ditches for the blessings that God has stored up for you. You've got to dig your ditches and believe God no matter what circumstance you're in. Lord, I believe. I'm going to pray. I'm going to declare. I'm going to stand. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give. I'm going to be. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to do whatever i got to do, Lord. I'm digging my ditch because that blessing's coming. And when it comes, Lord, I want it to be a pool within my parchedness. And it's going to be so much, Lord, abundant and overflowing. How many of you know everything has a capacity, right? Abundance is the measure of the Lord. He doesn't understand. 
limit to God is difficult because he's limitless, right? That old half glass full, half glass empty, it's, it's not truth. No glass is empty because it has something. Everything has something. So you might be limited, but God will fill you with limitless. You may not have the capacity for everything that God has for you, but God says, I'm going to give it to you overflowing. You just keep giving it out. Watch what I'm going to keep giving you. I'm going to give it to you abundant. I've come to give you abundance flowing over. Then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone and they listened to what the Lord said. But then they left the stones. I'll get out of Ker-Harasath. It doesn't make any sense for you right now. Beloved, we're at, a, we're at a place and a season with the kingdom here on earth and what we're called to do and in our own lives. You know, our own lives echo what's going on in the bigger picture with God. Do you know that? Yes, there's times that we get knocked flat on our back. Humbles us. It makes us wonder, how did it happen? What did I do wrong? And that's when the Lord says, don't worry. I got it. Just go with me. Many times you can be the person that somebody else is blessed. Your family's blessed through the default of your righteousness. Noah. Noah. His children got saved because Noah was righteous. Not because they were walking in the Lord or doing things right. Right? Jesus, he was made sin that we become the righteousness of God. One man saved the world. It's the oneness of God, you and God, and the righteousness of God. So, Pastor, what do I do to dig my ditches? First thing we do is we repent. Right? We walk in a cloak of humility and repentance. Doesn't mean that you're guilty. No, Jesus has washed it away. But God loves that broken heart, that contrite spirit. The Lord can't ignore it. He runs to it. Sometimes you're not broken for yourself, you're broken for someone else. One of my greatest pleasures, my greatest honors, my greatest opportunities to serve is when God gives me somebody on my heart to pray for and to intercede for, even when I know they can't do it for themselves. And then to see the Lord move. And it's this amazing God, an amazing God. The righteousness of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll give you everything else. Dig your ditches. Dig them with prayer. Dig them with obedience. Dig them with your lifestyle. Dig them with repentance. Dig them with your tithe. Dig them with your obedience to God. Every place that you get, keep those ditches digging. Watch them fill up. And then the sun will shine on them in the morning. And it's going to be a whole different image that is seen. Amen. Dig your ditches. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can glean truth out of the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that we come to you, Father, forever wanting to know more and to understand and to learn. We thank you, Lord, that you've made us instruments that are honored by you, loved by you because of your Son. Father, how we woo and awe in your love. 
in your grace, in your mercy, in your wisdom. Oh my God, you are so special to us, Lord. Father, my prayer is that for every wound there becomes the balm of your love and grace upon your people. For every hope and vision that has seemingly been shattered, that Father, you revive it and make it new. We thank you, Lord, that you pull our children back from wherever they're at, Lord, and our children's children. That the legacy of our children is righteousness because of the fact that we stand and make that commitment to you. We thank you, Father, that you open our eyes and ears to know truth and to know what isn't true. And that, Father, we are courageous enough to hold to the truth and that we are obedient enough to discard everything that's not true. Let our yeas be yeas and our nays be nays, Father. Father, thank you. Thank you for this beginning of the Jewish New Year. All things are made new and old things have passed away. Be blessed, O Lord. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said,